Just really want to provide the customer with a full service, meaning keeping them informed along their journey. So yes, they're traversing the city during the day when something happens, we can let them know. As they're traversing the city and crowding starts to happen on the buses, we can say, you know, your next vehicle's arriving in two minutes. It's at 120% capacity. The next one's coming in four minutes after that. It's at a lower capacity, whatever that is. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Good to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged News and Views this week with Lisa Walton, the Chief Technology Officer at the San Francisco MTA. Be a great follow-up from our guest last week, Michelle Bouchard, CEO of Caltrain, uh, who is also in that uh, Bay Area, and they those operations actually work together hand-in-glove in some places. And so this Two-week uh, series is a focus on the San Francisco Bay Area. Tell you, if you did not listen to that last episode with Michelle Bouchard, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's one of the best interviews we've done in a long time focusing on commuter rail, commuter bus, a real in-depth education on it. I encourage you to do it. And today is no different with Lisa Walton. It's a tremendous interview talking about some of the great things happening there. You're going to want to make sure you stay tuned for that. But first, a look at the news of the week, and then after her interview, I'll take a look at the future of public transportation with a special focus on my new book, Conversations on Equity and Inclusion in Public Transportation. We're going to be doing a book launch party next week at Aptus Transform Conference on Monday, October 10th at 12.30 p.m. at the Vontis booth. Make sure you come by that booth. We're going to have 10 CEOs of major transit systems talking about the book, signing copies. It's going to be a good time for one and all refreshments. Stay tuned for the end of the podcast for all the details. But now a look at headline news for the public transportation industry. Here in the United States, great news for public transportation. Continuing an upward trend, the public transportation industry in the United States saw ridership rebound to more than 70% of pre-pandemic levels in September, according to the American Public Transportation Association's Ridership Trends Dashboard. If you don't look at that and you're interested in ridership, you should. It's a great place to take a look at what's happening across the industry, kind of um, open up your eyes into ridership. Public transportation, according to APTA President and CEO Paul Scatellis, suffered catastrophic blows to ridership when the COVID-19 pandemic arrived in March of 2020. Systems saw significant declines in ridership as offices closed and Americans were urged to work from home for extended periods. But now, he says, as we see more workers return to the office, more students return to school, and more community destinations such as restaurants, theaters, and retail stores reopen their doors, agencies from coast to coast are seeing a rise in ridership. Congratulations to our industry as now we are hitting, on average, 70% of pre-pandemic ridership. That is great news. Although I again encourage us to remember that ridership is not the only key performance indicator that focuses on our ability to measure our success as public transit agencies. You'll recall in recent presentations I've done on this show and around the country, I just got back from speaking in, uh, in London eight times at a big quadrants conference uh, hosted by Volaris, a parent company for where I work. And uh, in every presentation, I try to make a point that, you know, when APTA did a survey last year of 
transit agencies, they had changed their key performance indicators to move ridership from number one, where it's been for a long time, to number two. And customer service, the focus on the customer experience is what has moved into number one. We know that if we build it right, they will come. And just like Michelle Bouchard told us on last week's episode, they're seeing an increase in ridership on commuter services in the midday, on nights and weekends. The ridership patterns are changing, and many cities are experiencing what they're calling a Tuesday through Thursday city, where riders are moving into the downtown areas mostly on those days, but not going in on their hybrid work schedules on Mondays and Fridays. So I don't anticipate us ever getting back up to 90 to 100 percent of ridership anytime soon unless we adjust our service offerings uh, to meet the needs of the passengers. And that's what's happening across America and the world. Public transit agencies are really re-emerging out of the COVID pandemic better and stronger than ever before because we have a sense of who we are. We're not just about getting people from A to B anymore. We're about improving societal aims, such as environmental stewardship, such as promoting equity and inclusion in our agencies by how we handle our employees, and also in our communities, by the services we provide. That's what the message of my book is about, and that's what we're hearing from one CEO after another, and even from leaders of national governments uh, and around the world, that that is a focus that we're coming out of the pandemic with. Uh, An expanded um, palette of options for public transportation, an expanded mission for our agencies beyond just A to B. Along those lines, many agencies are moving toward having more zero emission vehicles and not just buses, but trains too. As you as you heard last week and as this week, the news actually came out officially, Caltrain representatives were joined by federal, state, regional, local officials, and community members to celebrate the first public viewing of the agency's new electric train cars. The new train cars will serve as a centerpiece for the Caltrain electrification project. Caltrain said the trains will offer better service to riders and Will generate much less noise than their diesel equivalent. The new vehicles also offer amenities, including new digital onboard displays, power outlets at each forward-facing seat, a new seat color palette selected by the public, energy-efficient lighting, code hooks, security cameras, and expanded storage under the cantilevered seats. Uh, the federal government got involved. Speaker Nancy Pelosi, uh, who represents the region there in San Francisco, said the arrival of these new electric trains marks an exciting step toward providing greener, easier transportation options for Californians. And uh, additionally, each train set will have seven cars as opposed to the current five or six. The new trains also accelerate and decelerate faster than their diesel alternatives, which must be pulled by a locomotive. This will allow Caltrain to expand its service levels beyond the current 104 trains every Every weekday, according to the company, these trains will go into service in 2024 and then be tested to ensure they and the infrastructure they will rely on are in good working order. The trains are being built by Stadler U.S. at their facility in Salt Lake City, and uh, they're being tested, um, being sent to a test facility in Pueblo, Colorado, where they're tested at high speeds under numerous conditions as required by the Federal Railroad Administration. And the trains were tested for braking, propulsion, ride quality, noise, vibration, door operation, positive train control, and electromagnetic interference over the course of eight months. Uh, Steve Heminger, 
Caltrain's board chair said the electrification of Caltrain is one of the most important milestones in Caltrain's history. Being able to step onto the new trains for the first time makes me even more excited, he said, for the start of electrified service in 2024. The Caltrain electrification project will electrify the corridor from the San Francisco station at 4th and King Streets to approximately Tamian Station in San Jose, replacing the diesel hull trains with electric trains. Congratulations. Uh, to Michelle Bouchard, the acting executive director and CEO of the agency, and to all the the staff that was involved in making that happen and the leadership of the folks there, tremendous success on their part. And now stay tuned for a look at what's happening in San Francisco at the MTA from Lisa Walton, their chief technology officer. And then as mentioned, be sure to stay tuned till the very end. We bring you exciting news about our new book, conversations on equity and inclusion in public transportation. I'm Paul Comfort. Stay safe out there. And today we're in news and views with our interview with Lisa Walton, who is chief technology officer for San Francisco MTA, SFMTA, or Muni as it's known uh, in popular lingo. Lisa, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Paul. It's great to be here today. Lately, we've had a um, kind of a focus on technology. As we're coming out of the pandemic, everyone is talking about what the latest and greatest technologies are. So you have a lot of stuff going on there, Lisa, when, when it comes to technology. You're considered one of the technology leaders in the industry here in the U.S. First off, why don't you tell us a little about yourself and your agency? Sure. Um, SFMTA is, as Paul mentioned, in San Francisco, and it's one of the only, I believe, um, in North America, uh, transportation organizations that manages both the public transit system and service for the city and county of San Francisco, as well as all the street um, transportation elements, meaning traffic signals, traffic flow, curve, meters, that type of thing. So it really is a good opportunity because one impacts the other all the time. So it's really a, a good way to keep those um, both those systems and services intact together as we move forward. We run both in our transit uh, service. We run both rubber tire bus and light rail through the city. We are just getting ready to open a new extension to our subway back this year and are um, really looking forward to uh, bringing more service to the customers as they return back to work from the recent campaign. So we're recording this uh, in September. Where are you all at on ridership as, you know, like today versus pre-pandemic percentage-wise on your multiple services? We're we're up there in the now 60% of of recovery. And we're really seeing it come back really quickly now, just just starting now, right? Now the school started, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, And we're seeing a shift in the pattern, even right now, to where it's mainly Tuesday through Thursday. Mm-hmm. To get to like areas like downtown, and you're seeing an uptick even on um, weekend uh, service as well, because we have our tourism coming back, particularly uh, folks from Europe are returning to the city. And I can tell you, I live about a block and a half away from one of our tourist attractions where Lombard goes crooked, and I can tell you they're back. Because, <laughs> yeah, they're coming that, down your street, huh? An intersection is full all the time, so wow. um, it's it's really great to see them. Yeah. Now, San Francisco is a unique city in that. Don't you have like over 20 different transit services or agencies serving that area? 
Yeah, we do at, as the region, you know, right. and we try to work really closely with with all the um, regional fires. And they used to be seven, now there's nine, um, but we count into the greater Bay Area Regional Transportation Organization that we try to really sync with. And, you know, and I'm sure as people have heard, we're really trying to sync payment. We're trying to make it easier for riders to get on and off these different services. Um, because people live all over the Bay Area and commute into San Francisco even. So they might be riding, you know, AC Transit or Capital Quarter train. They might hop on BART and they might hop on Muni, you know. So we really need to work really closely. And we're even sharing some of our stops with like Golden Gate Transit and Sam Trans just so we can make sure we have easy trans- transfers and flow tracking, just a better service for the customers to get around um, the Bay Area. Yeah, that's good. So tell me about, uh, you've got two big things happening. One is a customer info system and the other is the opening of your new subway. Tell me about them and the role that your office, the technology office is playing. Yeah, the customer information system, I'm really excited about that. Um, it's been a long time coming and both that a lot of people recognize that we have in our shelters, you know, our predictions, your next vehicle is arriving at, and it's a little LED type sign that comes up and says when, you know, predicts the arrival as a vehicle, but we're replacing that system. And um, when we when we went to replace it, technology had changed so much and so drastically, because it's a 20 year old system, that we really saw the opportunity to offer our customers a lot more. So we designed the system to where not only will it predict your next vehicle arrival, but once we fully transfer over, it will give other information. There's a content management system behind it as well to where we can ad hoc send messages to any sign individually or as a group or whatever, wherever they are, along with our mobile app that we'll be deploying. Um, We'll be able to tell you capacity, real-time capacity. We'll be able to let you know disrupted routes and what the um, new uh, pattern might be to get around that disruption. Um, just a lot of uh, back and we'll be able to, if people opt in, communicate back and forth with our consumers our, of our service and make sure they're happy. We'll be able to add um, additional services. Um, as I mentioned, you know, we are a full service transportation organization. So we'll be adding even additional services into this, into our mobile app where they can um, order a street sign if they want, or if they opt in, they can communicate and talk to us and get special deals and have extra information from us and we can um, put our um, parking meters and parking garages on the app and so forth. Just really want to provide the customer with a with a full service, um, meaning keeping them informed, informed along their journey. So yes, they're um, tra- traversing the city during the day and something happens, we can let them know um, as they're traversing the city and crowding starts to happen on the buses, we can say, you know, your next vehicle's arriving in two minutes. It's at 120% capacity. The um, next one's coming in four minutes after that. It's at, um, it's at a lower capacity, whatever that is. And it, eventually, the phase two will actually be able to say, or you, you can take a walk to box and take a different route to where you're going. So that's really what we want to be able to do is really become a full service um, through our transportation services. And we are lucky our partner has been great. And it's not often I can say that in the transportation world, but they've been, they've been great. And it'll surprise people when I say that because it's cubic. And 
they've been working really closely with us and really well with us to make sure that through the, particularly through the pandemic, that we just stayed in sync with each other and made sure, because of course we ran into supply chain issues with our signs, and we was, which was really problematic because AT&T was turning down 3G. Um, which they did, they said they were doing it better with the action in June and we couldn't get parts anymore. We thought we'd be golden because we had ordered everything way ahead of time, of course, and everything, but, um, you know, we had to have some signs go dark. Um, and we actually had to pay to have some modems put in while we waited for new signs to align and so forth. So, um, it's been, it's been a tug, but I have to say, and, and it could be because of the nature of the issues we were all having with leading defenders, um, where we really, have a great collaborative um, project going on there. And my team is managing the project um, as with the Cubic team. And we've gotten input not only from our stakeholders inside the agency, but we um, did extensive outreach and surveying our customers before we started um, around what would they like to see on the system. This system is very important to the citizens of San Francisco. Yes. When it goes down, I hear about it. And, and in fact, you know, there was talk that if, if what we needed to do for central subway support, which is a new subway extension we're opening, if, set, if the customer information system wasn't going to be ready to support it, we were going to delay the opening. I mean, that's how important yeah. um, we, we feel information to our customers is. So I'm really excited. We aren't going to have to first on the opening of central <laughs> subway. <laughs> I said, not on my watch. Yes. Um, so we are able to support them. I also want to make note that this is um, a direction, I believe, in technology with the transportation organization um, and in that industry in general that hasn't been um, utilized. And that's we're going to a platform. We're going to a SaaS platform. And yes, they can make little tweaks that make, um, make it for us a little bit, but not, not a lot, not as much as if they were, if we were working um, before they were a project company, as most companies are in the transportation world, to be honest. Um, so I'm really happy to see the evolution of some of the vendors going to a more standardized platform and managing it like, like the private sectors manage their, their technology and so forth. So I'm really happy about that, that we'll be, and we'll get scheduled releases, you know, on a monthly, quarterly basis, and it'll just, It'll just be so much easier to manage um, with that predictability of updates and so forth. So I'm yeah. really excited about that as well. Where every CPU doesn't have to be touched, where it can be exactly. done yeah, from the cloud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I've been through a number of those upgrades in the past where somebody has to come in and upload on every <laughs> computer. I mean, it was, you know, 15 years ago, but it's nice yeah. to see transit agencies move into the 21st century. It's something I've been arguing about for a long time or arguing for, you know, come on, man, yeah. get out of the 80s and 90s, you know, we don't use yeah. DOS anymore. And <laughs> you can, yes. So, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's great. Yeah. You mentioned that a lot of this is in support of the new subway. Tell me about that. What's happening? Yeah, it's great. We're opening a new subway. It, it um, again, been a long time coming. Started long before I was at the MTA, and I've been there seven years. Uh, so now we're getting ready to open uh, uh, late fall this fall. Um, it goes from Chinatown down to through the city, and there'll be a stop in Chinatown and in Union Square. And then Yerba Bueno, which is really our third street. And that's where our third street, which has um, our, one of our main lines, the T-line, that really wraps around the city. 
Um, in fact, it's hard to say Easter right inbound or outbound because it goes inbound and outbound, you know. So um, it goes around the city. So it really is to get people to that T line, really, um, is a baby and or to use where, but maybe to the T line. So then they can go anywhere from there. That T line also runs across Giant Stadium, Chase Center, and all of the event areas um, in, that, oh, wow. in that in the city. So it really will um, help the citizens um, in well in the city, but primarily really in Chinatown, really getting down to the other areas of the city in an easy way. So we're really excited about being that open. We're we're, we're even talking about okay, although it won't happen for a while, you know, because we have a tunnel built through down to from Chinatown the other way down to um, like the tourist area in the bay, uh, whether it be uh, Pier 39 or, or the marina in that area. Um, and we're really talking about, okay, when do we start that one? And I'm like, oh, please give me a month or two. So, um, but right now, as you know, and as, as most folks in the technology departments know, this last few months of projects are the hardest, right? It's where all the nooks and crannies, you have to work and tick and tie everything together and right. make sure everything's going the way it needs to. And, you really don't want to see any, oh my God, I wasn't expecting that. But of course, yeah. we're going to get those. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's we're, interesting. We're really excited about that. We really hope to, that once we do bring our our customers fully back, we're really hoping that that'll also add to um, us enabling us to, you know, increase our, well, decrease, I always like more to me, really decrease our headway and right. have more, <laughs> have more um, service. The yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of what's happening right now is on the routes that we need it. We need to increase the frequency, right? My friend Kevin uh, Quinn likes to say frequency equals freedom. Exactly. Um, you know, and I ride the system every day and now I can see that people are coming back. You know, I was telling the um, folks yesterday that I took the bus into the office and, you know, I'm an early stop from where it come, pulls out. So I got a seat. Um, but Four stops later, it was packed. Wow, was standing right that's only, a good so sign. It's a great sign. Yeah, I, I, I really, I really liked it, loved it, and we did increase our service this month. So last month, I should say. Right. So who who runs the uh, the the famous streetcar service downtown? That's us. Okay. So we do we do the streetcars and the cable cars, um, and while you know we love them, yes, because we have that love hate relationship with them, as you can imagine. Because they do need to stay authentic. Right. So even, even though I need to put a customer information system on both of those fleets, you can't see it and I can't disrupt anything. <laughs> right. They want it to look old, the old school. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I love that. Um, I know a lot of people love that, you know, who are tourists to San Francisco. I actually, in my children's book, um, called Public Transportation from the Tom Thumb Railroad to Hyperloop and Beyond, I have a whole page about how those cable cars work. Cause a lot of people don't understand that how, you know, there's a barn at the end of the street and they, is that still the way it runs? Well, we have a barn. We have what, what we call the cable car barn, right. um, but they really, uh, they run where there would be a cable car barn back in the day. They still have those turnarounds, which is where yes. the barn would be. So they have a turnaround still, um, not necessarily the barn, the barns in another place now, but um, we do have the barn for repairs and so forth. But we do have the turnarounds down at Powell Street um, and Fifth, where uh, Powell Stockton area, where all the tourist shops are and so forth. Right. And then down near uh, Fishing's Wharf, there's another 
turn around down there. I think I've seen that one at Fisherman's Wharf. So how is the how are the cable cars powered now? Are they like traditional light rail with electric uh, catenary wires over top? They're cable cars. Just still the, the cable. cable. That's good. Under under yep. underneath, right? Yeah. Them along. Yep. Still yeah. Still the cable. So awesome. I, I love it that. Yeah. yeah. It is. Yeah. We have a whole wood shop. You know, we have a wood shop, a metal shop, and everything. Because again, we have to build the parts. Right. Ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time. So. And those cars are. Uh, amazing looking. I remember riding them the last time I was there. I mean, traditional, they've got little plaques on them that say when they were built and all that stuff. It's really neat. If you if you travel to San Francisco and you're listening to the podcast, you got to ride the cable cars downtown. Yeah, they're, they're really a lot of fun. And right now they're just sparkling because, you know, we have- we, Oh, lots of time just, to clean them, right? <laughs> yep. Keep clean and repaint and, and spruce up. So they're gorgeous right now. Like I live on a on a cable car line, so okay. Um, I I just love it. I just love it. I don't take it very often, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, what a great conversation where we're able to talk about the latest greatest technology in addition to some of the oldest coolest cars in the business. So exactly. Lisa Walton, thank you so much, and thank you for the work you're doing to improve the lives of the hundreds of thousands of people that rely on the SFMTA every day and making sure that we are, as we said, you know, in the 2020s with the technology and having it able to be able to even be improved as we go into the future from there. So thank you for the great work you are doing and have done to help your agency get there. Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate your support and all this. Thank you. Hi. I'm Alea Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. Almost all of us in public transit marketing have spent the last two and a half years talking about rebuilding ridership in the wake of the COVID pandemic. Ridership numbers aren't where we would like them to be, but they certainly are coming back. So let's talk for a moment about how to market and communicate in order to retain our customers. When we fail to retain riders and have to continuously market to bring in new customers, we refer to that as churn. Churn requires we spend more marketing dollars, and it also introduces some staff fatigue and burnout because of the sense of failed efforts. Avoiding churn is a top marketing priority. We can do that by keeping in touch with customers regularly, with emails, social media, and even customer-related events and giveaways. Anticipating and communicating rider challenges, especially when it comes to service changes, is a very important way to keep in touch with customers and retain their interest and loyalty. Finally, marketing and customer service efforts don't always work together for rider retention, but they really should. Emails and social media are all well and good for outreach, but having a real human being to talk to, especially when things go wrong, is a surefire way to make riders feel wanted, reassured, and loyal. If you'd like to talk more about customer retention marketing or anything else related to communications and public transit, look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y. Hi, this is Mike Bismeyer, Regional Sales Director for Terra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about mentorship, leadership, and kindness with the hopes it'll inspire you to pay it forward. I wanted to take time out this week to talk about leadership and kindness in transit, the transit family and how that shone through recently during a difficult time with one of our transit family members. While visiting with Edmonton Transit last week, they shared a story of a recent traumatic loss of one of their employees and an incredibly inspiring story that came from the kindness of others. One of their maintenance operations employees went into cardiac rest, we'll simply call him Frank, while in the coffee room on a break. 
Two other staff members jumped into action and did CPR for almost half an hour, which helped keep him alive in the hospital for a week, allowing family members an opportunity to say their goodbyes. One of the ETS leadership team even went to the house of the listed emergency contact to personally let the family know what had transpired at work that day. Sadly, Frank passed away later that week, a terrible incident for sure, but the ETS team's kindness continued from there. They attended the service and then reached out to the family and arranged for them to come into the facility and be driven around in a golf cart from station to station within the garage to experience a day in the life of Frank. Simply tremendous, a story that gives me goosebumps. They also found out shortly prior to his passing that Frank had bought a hot dog machine from Amazon that he was hoping to bring into work to start to have some staff hot dog days. A day after the family was given the tour, they returned to the garage and handed off the hot dog machines. And now the staff has started to have Frank Fridays in his memory. Amazing all around. Great leadership and incredible kindness. Kudos to the Edmonton team, Frank, and all those who are impacted by the event. Kindness is cool. Thanks for listening. And now a look at the future of public transportation. As mentioned earlier, next week, uh, I'll be at the American Public Transportation Association's Transform Conference in Seattle. I'll be hosting a book launch party and a giveaway and book signing for my new book, Conversations on Equity and Inclusion in Public Transportation. And you're invited if you're one of the thousands of people who will be at the APTA conference, come and join a dozen top transit CEOs and executives who contributed to the book as they talk about the book, share their thoughts on this important topic, autograph free copies of the book. We'll have refreshments, all sponsored by Vontis, and it'll be at their booth at the APTA trade show floor, uh, Vontis booth number 705 on Monday, October 10th at 1230 p.m. Be sure to come by. There's going to be people such as who have confirmed Terry White, the general manager of King County Metro in Seattle, India Birdsong, the general manager of Cleveland's transit system, GCRTA, Alex Wiggins, my good friend from New Orleans, CEO of Norda, Inez Evans, CEO of Indigo in Indianapolis, Brad Miller, CEO of Pinellas Suncoast Transit Authority from Clearwater, Freddie Fuller from Jacobs and past chair of Comto, the Conference of Minority Transportation Officials. Bakara Sanderson-Malden, who penned the forward to the book, Chief of Staff of Memphis Area Transit Authority, will be there. Robbie Mackinnon, my good friend and past CEO of Kansas City Area Transit Authority. Rod Jones, portfolio leader of Medaxo. Bridget Beato, CEO of Luminor Consulting, who contributed to the book. David Kim, past Secretary of Transportation of California. And Peter Axel, General Manager of Vontis, who's sponsoring uh, the party and the giveaway. Again, if you want to be a part of it, the books themselves are available right now for pre-order online on Amazon and other places. You can go to Amazon and type in Paul Comfort Equity. And it'll pop you up to the book and you can pre-order it. And right now, the book is available for a special low price uh, for those who are interested in the ebook. And then uh, the paperback book will be available in November uh, on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and other retailers, Book Babies, Bookstore. Uh, we'll bring you more information about that. Many people are interested in buying these books for their staff. I've had uh, one company just this week tell me they wanted to buy 100. If you want to buy them in bulk of, let's say, 50 or more, feel free to contact me. Uh, at paul.comfort at medaxo.com. And uh, I can arrange for you to get them at a special wholesale rate if this if you want to get this message out to the employees in your company uh, or the um, employees at your transit agency. And what is the book? Well, the book is, is called Conversations on Equity and Inclusion in Public Transportation. And it's called that because that's exactly what it is. It's me speaking with over 20 top public transportation executives about efforts they're making right now 
to improve equity and inclusion in their agencies and in the services they provide to their communities. I think COVID actually provided transit agencies an opportunity to reflect on our core mission, like I mentioned in the opening. Would our agencies and city governments continue to be ridership obsessed, or would they now focus on a more fundamental mission to provide mobility and access to opportunities for all with a focus on improved customer service and experience? As I mentioned earlier, the American Public Transportation Association, APTA, industry survey uh, late last year showed that transit agencies have largely begun making the switch. They removed ridership as their number one key performance indicator, or KPI, and replaced it with customer service. And then they also added in access to mobility options as their key performance indicator number three. The pandemic showed that ridership remained higher on core bus services, providing access to essential jobs, while commuters from the suburbs worked from home. These commuter bus and rail services ridership dropped to under 10% of pre-pandemic levels in some cases. The essential workers, though, riding core bus service made up the backbone of our services in the cities and bus and light rail and subway, but also the backbone of our society and economy. The U.S. federal government and other governments in nations like Canada and the U.K. realized this and made increased transit operating funding a national priority. Local leaders have demanded that transit agencies now make service to these essential workers and those often left behind in transit planning a local priority. These may include people of color, lower income, or elderly passengers. This book explores this new reality where transit agencies are putting the focus back on the rider and improving equity and inclusion for all. We also examine the new move toward utilizing microtransit as a safety net. That's the chapter I wrote in the book and how the fare free movement or the zero fare movement is sweeping the nation. This book, as I mentioned, is a series of conversations with many leaders, uh, including Veronica Vanderpool, Deputy Administrator of the Federal Transit Administration, Terry White, CEO of King County Metro, India Birdsong, CEO of Greater Cleveland, Julie Tim, coming out of Richmond, now going to Sound Transit, um, and many other leaders, including Inez Evans, Noah Berger, Brad Miller, Paul Tolliver, who gives us a good historical perspective on equity and inclusion in the industry. David Kim, Natalie Lowborough, my friend Tilly Lowborough, from, uh, who's general manager of Metro Trains Melbourne, talks to us about what's happening in Australia there. And then Linda Ford and the team from the American Public Transportation Association weigh in, as do many business leaders, including Bridget Beato from Luminor Consulting, Freddie Fuller and the whole team from Jacobs, Nora Kamal from Proterra Bus, and other leaders from companies such as Vontis and Medaxo and Trapeze and TripSpark. So they're going to be talking to you in this book and in person at our launch event about why we should continue to have conversations and take action on equity and inclusion in public transportation. Again, uh, if you're at the APTA conference, be sure to come by the uh, booth on Monday, October 10th at 12.30 p.m., the Vauntus booth, number 705, who's sponsoring the party. Thank you so much for being with us on this episode of Transit Unplugged, and hopefully thank you for seeing you in person next week at APTA Transform. Stay safe out there. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged News and Views with our special guest, Lisa Walton, CTO of San Francisco MTA. And next week on Transit Unplugged In-Depth, we have Vernon Everett, Transit Commissioner for Greater Manchester in the UK. Don't forget to visit transitunplugged.com to sign up for the newsletter so you are always in the loop with whatever is going on on the podcast or Transit Unplugged TV. If you have a question, comment, 
or want to be a guest on the show, feel free to email us at info at transitunplugged.com. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.